freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about... Just Mike. Gonna, Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> Let's go. It is the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com, and the Seattle Sports app, of course. Don't forget all the podcast platforms. Hopefully you uh, caught some KJ Wright yesterday, and if you missed it, hopefully you went back and listened to the entire hour on whatever is your favorite podcast platform, Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever the case may be. Uh, if you missed it, we'll give you a little little peek, a little a little window in at eight at uh, six thirty this morning. So coming up here in about a half hour, Jerry Depoto on the show today, of course. Although he'll be a little bit late uh, because of the early game, eleven a.m. game, their bus time change. So Jerry's going to join us at uh, nine o'clock. So just a little bit late today, but we'll still talk to Jerry at nine o'clock, coming off of his team's win. I will start by telling you today that I am the happiest I've been in probably four months. I could not be happier this morning. It has nothing to do with the Mariners game last night, (laughs) although that was a nice little win for them. It has nothing to do with going to Seahawks practice yesterday, although that was a blast, and I'm happy to tell you more about it. Did your your children do something exciting? My children did nothing, although it was nice (laughs) to see them last night, and I had a nice night with them, and uh, I'm going to spend this evening with them as well. Yeah, No, it has nothing to do with them. I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, out for a walk with my kids and ran into a person in our in our neighborhood who had a nice little French bulldog. And uh, I won't give you her name because I want to protect it. But I, uh, you know, I don't need anybody trying to go Frenchie napping or anything. But while, while I had contemplated the same thing, uh, we did mention to her that, hey, we'd be perfectly willing to, you know, watch her dog for her anytime they needed. And she said, oh, my God, that would be great. My husband and I actually just moved here. We might be able to use that. Like, here, take my number. <laughs> like, quickly give her my number. And, and I then w- you texted me later that evening and said, she hasn't reached out yet. I know. I, I was said, pretty upset. I said, Mike, you're, you're being a little desperate here. <laughs> I know. Let's I calm was. calm down. I was. I was being so desperate. <laughs> but thankfully, I didn't have her number. She only had mine. So I wasn't able to, like, reach out over and over again over the last few weeks and essentially beg her to let me play with her dog. And so uh, finally, I got up yesterday afternoon. I was like, oh, my God, she texted. And so uh, we got to spend, I don't know, three, four hours last night with her dog just hanging out at the house. It was the first time we'd had a Frenchie in our house in a couple of months. And uh, while I definitely called her Wendell once or twice, other than that, the night went great. She was a wonderful dog. She was very sweet. She made herself right at home. She lay down next to me. and I was just petting her for a while. And I got to tell you. It just makes everything in the world better. Like, I just, I miss Wendell so much, and it was awesome just having it. I think I've mentioned before, I miss Wendell, my French bulldog who who passed away in April after 14 and a half years. I miss him personally. Like, I, I miss his character traits. I miss the things that he and I would do together in particular, just the things about him. But I also just kind of miss having a dog, right? Like, they're sort of two separate things to me. Yeah. And uh, last night, I at least got to scratch one of those two itches. Obviously, we'll never get a chance to hang out with Wendell again. But just having a dog in the house for a few hours, awesome. I I must have taken 30 pictures of her. She's so sweet. That's so – oh, I love it. I also love that – uh, you just said all the things that you and Wendell love to do together. Like it was a long list because from what you told me about Wendell, <laughs> napping was pretty much 
Yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> napping and eating. Yeah. Feeding him and, you know, napping with him. Yeah. You know, I guess what I mean is like the type of ear scratches he might like Aww. or those types. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like the things that are sort of unique to you and your dog. But that's a really good point. We didn't do much of anything together other than sort of lie there. But he was very, very good Sometimes at that. That's the best. Yeah. So anyway, it was uh, it was really nice to, to hang out last night. Oh, thank you to the person who says they're tearing up at 6 a.m. in the morning. I appreciate that. I did not. I think I, I thought I would actually. I thought that I would start crying last night just hanging out with this dog, but I was able to keep it together um, because she was so happy and so friendly. So it was a nice, nice night. Anyway, it was fun watching the Mariner game as well. I'll probably talk a little bit more about this later, but I've got a um, I've got a little conspiracy theory for you this morning. Anybody want a conspiracy theory? Yeah, let's do it. Do we have any of those anymore in the world? It seems like in America we've got a few of them. Uh, But I've got my own conspiracy theory. It has nothing to do with elections. It has nothing to do with the courts. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has only to do with Luis Castillo. And I got a little conspiracy theory about Luis Castillo last night. More, I know you watched the game, and I know you were probably a little disappointed in the night that Luis Castillo had, right? That came out, he got hit hard all night. There's lots of loud contact. What, he only have three or four strikeouts? Clearly not a typical Luis Castillo kind of night. The Royals just seem to be seeing him very well, much better than we're accustomed to. And I absolutely uh, noticed the same thing, right? I mean, it was not him at his best. They gave him a 3 nothing lead. He gave it back. They got another run. He gave it back. It just kind of felt like one of those nights where he wasn't really able to hold on to the leads that the offense had given him. And I started thinking about it and thinking about Brock's thought yesterday, like, hey, they really need seven innings out of Luis Castillo tonight. And uh, he has he's been really dominant this year, but not getting particularly deep into games. He's mostly been a six inning pitcher. Not a five-and-dive guy. You don't want a pitcher who only goes five. If you only go five, you've not really done your job. And the other pitchers on your team will be a little annoyed, and eventually they'll refer to you as five-and-dive. That was Eric Bedard. Five-and-dive, man. Oh, thanks. Way to go out there and give us a whole five innings, Eric. Appreciate it. That's not what you're looking for. You got to get six. And I think Castillo's been really good about going six innings, you know, eight or nine strikeouts or whatever the case may be, and those are good outings. Yesterday, he went seven. He wasn't particularly great. He wasn't at his best, but he went seven innings and gave them the necessary innings they needed to only need to use two relievers last night, right? The only people who needed to come out of the pen were Spire in the eighth and then Brash in the ninth. That was it. They needed to rest everybody else. Topa, probably unavailable. Munoz, definitely unavailable. Sacedo had pitched in two games in a row. I mean, you start you start going down the list and you're like, they're kind of out of high leverage relievers for this game. And unless you want to be trusting Ryder Ryan in the biggest moments, that's probably, you know, yeah, no thank you is right. So I wonder, and I can't prove this, and I don't know the answer to it, but I, I certainly believe it to be true in my conspiracy theory brain that Luis was pitching to contact last night that he purposely changed the way he threw in order to pitch to more contact to get deeper into the game, right? Strikeouts are great, and they absolutely ensure that nobody's going to get on base during that at bat, and they take the defense out of it and any of the luck out of it in terms of batting average and ball and play. There's a lot of reasons why strikeouts are so important in modern baseball, but they generally take more pitches. 
They take three, at least three, and often they take five, six, seven pitches in order to get the strikeout that you're looking for. Well, if you're giving them balls that they can hit but trying to keep them a little bit more off balance, you can get a little deeper into the game. And, yes, he did give up more hits than normal last night and even some hard contact. But guess what? He made it through seven, and he only threw 98 pitches. If they'd really needed him to go one more, they probably could have. I don't think it would have been a good idea just based on you know the way it was working. But if they had absolutely needed a, a seventh inning out of him or an eighth inning out of him, I think he probably could have at least started it given where his pitch count was at. You think he could do that as a competitor? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And not only do I think he can, I think it's an incredibly unselfish act that speaks to being a fantastic teammate well, and member of the group. I was just going to say maybe that comes with being a veteran, but you see how intense like Logan Gilbert and George Kirby are on the mound, and I don't think you could ask them to Oh, they may not be able to at this stage in their career. But I think it's mon- it's not about intensity. It's not about like it's not like, about not being competitive. Kirby, it was like I don't I don't like to like, throw walks. He always wants to throw strikes. Yeah, and and I think that's becomes even more crucial last night for Castillo, right? Everything's got to be in the zone. Everything's got to be just making sure that you're you're giving them the opportunity to make contact, but trying to throw them off balance, trying to throw a few more sinkers and try to induce ground balls and try and do things that will get you out of the game quicker or get them out quicker as opposed to most effectively. And so I can't prove that. I don't know that that's what happened last night, but I watched the game and I definitely thought that that's what was going on because you know how much I think of Luis Castillo, especially how much I think of his stuff. He didn't have it last night. And so it makes me wonder if some of that was on purpose to just find a way to get through seven innings, which is exactly what his team needed him to do. So if it's true, that's one heck of an unselfish move. And those are the types of things that are built right into this culture, that are built right into why a baseball team succeeds. It's not always the things that you and I see when we watch a game. It's not always who has the big hit. That's a big part of it. But sometimes it's who's willing to make the sacrifice for themselves in order to help the team that ends up bringing everybody closer together and allowing that team to go even farther than you'd hope. So nice win for the Mariners last night. They got one more today, 11 o'clock start as they will throw George Kirby, who you just mentioned. We'll come right back, give you all the details on that. Plus what I saw in practice, we'll give you everything you need to know next. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, really nice win for the Mariners last night. Maybe not the cleanest, maybe not the least stressful, but I think we just have to accept that Kauffman Stadium is just not going to provide those sort of games to this team. We did see a couple of really important things go down. A huge, huge game from Julio Rodriguez, including what turned out to be the biggest hit of the night. The look in by Davidson, and now the left-handers, 0-1 pitch on the way to Julio, swinging a ground ball wide at first into right field for a base hit. Here comes Haggerty on a score, Caballero running second inning for third, the long throw to third, and out at third is Caballero. What a throw by Blanco from right field all the way to Garcia. The third baseman gets the tag on Caballero, however, Sam Haggerty scores, Base hit to right by Julio Rodriguez, drives in a run, and the Mariners add their lead, and the inning is over, but now does Scott want to take a look at it? The Mariners have a 6-4 lead in the ballgame. He did not. He was definitely out, but uh, man, that kid in right field had a bit of a cannon, which made the previous go-ahead run all the sketchier. The stretch by Coleman and the 1-1. 
on the way to Hernandez swing and a pop-up shallow down the right field line in foul territory. Long run, Velasquez, he's there and will make the catch. Tagging a third, heading home is Moore. The throw to the plate, the slide, the tag. Moore is safe at home. Velasquez's throw to the plate on a hop. A good throw, but Dylan Moore racing home. He scores. And the Mariners have the lead, 5-4. to four. Everybody else advances. It wasn't safe by much, but it was just enough. I was actually wondering in that situation if he should have let that ball go. It was a, it was a foul ball, so it wasn't going to be a hit. You got a chance Dylan Moore is going to score and a pretty good chance that Teoscar is going to strike out if you throw him another pitch. He is, after all, battling for the league lead in strikeouts. I don't know. I think it might have been the smarter move to just let that thing go. Regardless, Luis Castillo goes seven innings, not as sharp as self, did allow four runs, but gave them innings, which they absolutely needed with the beat-up pen, the middle of an 11-game stretch without a day off. I don't know if some of that was on purpose, but it sure wouldn't surprise me if it was, if he was just finding a way to get through as many innings as possible, maybe pitching to contact. And he got some really great, contributions from his offense, specifically Julio, who had another huge night. Offensively, obviously, Julio, huge night tonight. Um, Probably the most impressive thing he did tonight was to take the single to the right field. Uh, In a huge spot there in the ninth inning, we need all the insurance runs we can get. It proved to be the winning run in the ballgame. And uh, when he does those type of things, he just takes us to another level. I mean, he's an unbelievable, talented player, but playing the game that way and understanding what the situation calls for, it was great to see. And uh, he's got the ability to do that stuff. Yeah, he sure did. That was huge last night. They win. Uh, They're also going to be without Tom Murphy for a little while as he heads to the IL with a thumb injury. We'll keep you updated. Astros win. Rangers, Blue Jays, Yankees, Red Sox all lose. Good news. So Mariners back to six and a half behind Texas. One behind Toronto, but tied in the loss column, which means they control their own destiny. Four behind Houston, two ahead of Boston. One more in Kansas City today, 11 o'clock start. George Kirby will be on the hill, which means the Mariners won't get to throw either Castillo or Kirby during the weekend series in Houston, which is kind of a bummer. Here's the second thing you need to know. Had a really fun time at uh, Seahawks practice yesterday. A little toasty out there, not going to lie, and they weren't in pads. So the offense had what I thought was a very good day. DK Metcalf was awesome. He was torching poor Artie Burns, who was just not ready for the smoke that DK was bringing. Drew Locke actually had a pretty decent day. And there's a guy on this team. Do you know who Matt Landers is, Mora? Yeah, he caught a touchdown from Holton Ehlers. Oh, that's the guy who caught that play? Yeah. Dude. Kind of saved him. That was not a good touchdown. He's 6'4", runs a 4'3", and took back a couple of kicks to the house yesterday and made a long catch for a touchdown. He's, I, don't, I mean, I'm not telling you he's going to make the team because I don't know whether he can do all of the things necessary, but I am saying you can't teach 4-3, and yep. he has it. He is long and fast and very interesting to watch out there. Uh, you know who was once again tr- tremendous was Jake Bobo, Geno Smith. Couldn't stop talking about him afterwards. I'm very impressed with Jake, man. Bobo's been... Uh... You know, I think back to like many camp OTAs when he was making plays and no one really knew who he was. And now, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a mantra going more Bobo. You know, everybody wants to see him make plays, but every day he comes out, he's consistent. Uh, he gets open, he catches the ball. And, um, you know, right now uh, we just got to continue to push him and, and try and make him better. But um, he's doing all the things he needs to do. That's the second time now we've heard about more Bobo. It seems to just be what everyone's saying in that locker room. Pretty darn cool. I also witnessed, I know, I'm surprised they didn't stop practice. 
Jackson Smith and Jigba did drop a pass during scrimmage. I know. Hadn't happened yet. We obviously jinxed him by asking Pete about it. Gino, though, still pretty happy with what he sees from the Rooks. Just with his assignments and understanding what to do, you know, you come in as a, as a young player and uh, you're picking up the playbook. You're learning new things, uh, a new way to run routes and a new way to, you know, schematically beat defenses. And then as the weeks gone by, you can tell he's just getting more and more comfortable with his position, understanding all the positions, all the concepts. And then he's playing faster. You know, he's making quick decisions. We got option routes where he's making decisions. He's seeing the same things that we're seeing as quarterbacks, and he's getting to the right spots. And then uh, after that, he's just being himself. And so that's, you know, something that's going to continue to grow for him. He did drop that one pass, but ultimately I thought he had a pretty darn good practice yesterday. You know who else looks really good? Tariq Woolen. Not a huge surprise, but just seeing him out there, pretty good reminder of the kind of incredible rookie year that he had last season. Here's the third thing you need to know. I know we know the Seahawks are talented. Is there any chance they are too talented? I don't like saying that, and probably the answer to that one is no. But KJ Wright on with us yesterday certainly laid out the possibility that they may have too much talent at certain positions, and that if that plays out, it could be a bit of an issue. Somebody's going to be mad on game day. I could tell you this. There's going to be some guys that are furious, angry. I'm not getting the playing time. Why me? Why me moping around? The leadership on this football team is going to be paramount. Mm. The transparency with these coaches Creating the proper expectations. This is what's going to happen. Don't just leave guys, you know, out to dry, like not communicating. You got to communicate with these guys. Yeah, so that's an interesting thought that I hadn't really considered. Certainly, KJ, as a player for all of his years, would have know a whole lot more about it. His solution, unfortunately, trade Mike Jackson. You just got too many people in that cornerback room, too many people in the secondary, and obviously still have some holes, especially up front on defense. And if you can find a way to make that move, that's what you do. So there you go. That is everything you need to know. We do that quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk show. It was a fun conversation with KJ yesterday. So glad to be able to restart the KJ Wright show every Wednesday, 8 to 9 o'clock, all throughout football season. We'll give you a little taste of it. Coming up next, it's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. <laughs> oh, man. Dude, watermelons good. with muscles. Yeah, just watermelons with muscles. That's how it is. It's just watermelons, <laughs> watermelons with muscles. Uh, all right, I got some Pete Carroll questions for you. I got a uh, teammate question for you here, KJ. I got a scheme question for Brock you. I got a go linebacker question for you, KJ. And then we got to dig into some of the mentality of kind of what this team looks like this year. So let me uh, let me start with this. Just to, We'll have a little fun first, and then I'll uh, make it a little more serious after that. We had <laughs> your old teammate on, Max Unger, joined us Max. earlier this week. Uh, actually, for a serious reason, because he was coming on to talk to us about what was going on in Maui with the fires, etc. He's a Hawaii guy, lives on the Big Island, and and really offered some awesome perspective on the community there and what that was like. And he's just he was a good interview. Anyway, uh, we asked him what it was like blocking and being in a huddle with Marshawn, and uh, his answer was great. He was friends with everybody. You know, he could relate. He could sit down in any corner of the locker room and have you know a genuine conversation with anybody at any time about anything. And it was, it was real. Right. 
Um, and Marshawn's also a genius, right? You guys know this. He has like the whole world fooled. And with like, you know, him not talking to the meat, the press and stuff for a while, he kind of, it was like a business model for him. I mean, he was like a, he's like a genius just like socially. And, and he had like this, you know, this personality that he built. That was just, that was him. I don't know if that makes any sense. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. <laughs> Max, Max is spot on, especially from the standpoint of I can go to every corner of the locker room. He could talk to a lineman from Idaho. He could talk to a, a DB from Los Angeles, like kid from Mississippi like myself, and just really an awesome teammate, an awesome friend. How rare is that? Is that, is that rare? Whoa. Whoa. Oh, 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 I've been doing wow. the show together for too long. Jeez, How rare goodness. is that? Is that rare? <laughs> That's um no it's, it's, this was called be, just being a good dude. It's called being a good teammate. And what I love most about him, my personal life was with my daughter. He called her baby beast mode. He called her baby beast, beast mode because uh, it was that Thanksgiving one day at Coach Norton house. She just body slammed Mike Rob's son <laughs> on Thanksgiving. And it's like, girl, you baby beast mode. And to this day, Ariana's 15 now. This is like 10 years ago. He still asks, how's baby beast mode doing? How's she playing volleyball? He want to come to her games. And I'm seeing them highlights and um, just an awesome dude, awesome teammate. We talked finances and you know, save your chickens, take care of your mentals. Just a real solid dude. <laughs> Yeah, I would say that being a great teammate and, and having those qualities is not rare. But, KJ, I would contend there aren't a lot of guys that are equipped to do that, that can genuinely talk to the chicken farmer, Jodine Davenport, in Arkansas and talk to C. Raj from Trenton, New Jersey, right? But Marshawn had that ability. I, I kind of answered why. I'm curious from your you know real-life experience being there with him, why do you think he was so capable of doing that? He was just a solid, genuine dude, just his upbringing, just a guy that, you know, didn't grow up with much and, you know, had to, you know, went to Cal and just a guy that just worked his tail off. Everything that he's gotten in life, he's earned. You know, he's learned through experience. He's learned through his, his upbringing and just watching what he's doing now. The guy's, uh, like he said, he's a genius. He's a media star on Amazon, on every commercial, um, still going to different practices, giving back to guys, you know, talking to running backs. Like he's literally doing everything. And he's just being himself at the end of the day. And so when you look at how you should operate, why are you playing, how you should operate once you transition, Marshawn Lynch is definitely the blueprint for that. We were talking to Pete Carroll yesterday, and he mentioned something that I don't think I've ever heard him say in all of the conversations we've had over the years. He was talking about showing highlights of the good plays that people make. One of the things that you guys may not realize that, that happens in these camps is I'm trying to get these guys to know each other. And so we show highlights every day. And the highlights aren't necessarily just for the play, but it's for the guys to learn who they're playing with. Mm -hmm. And so that they also not just learn who they are, but they learn to expect what they bring. And so uh, it's part of the accountability thing. You know, if it, once you show us who you are, then we can count on you being that. And, and uh, so it's a big part of what's going on here. And so that's all... Is that an part of the orchestration. Is there I ended up asking him if that also had to do with learning to trust the people around you, knowing how good they are and that yeah. they can make plays. And he agreed with that. But I, it, it dawned on me that Pete's even better and has thought even more deeply. And his system of getting guys to buy into the culture is even more complex than I realized. And, and Mike, what he just said, I never even, I was with this man. Did you know that's what he was doing? No, <laughs> that just, he mind controlled you. <sighs> That just hit me right then and there what he was doing because we all are on the same practice field, right? We're all doing our thing, but guys are like we have blindfolds on. The DBs don't see what the defensive linemen are doing during one-on-ones. 
they don't see they're doing their own thing. The defensive line don't see what the linebackers are doing in their individual drills. They don't see guys makeup. They don't see how hard guys are going during individual drills. And so what he's doing is that he's showing you, hey, this is the, your guy that you're playing with. He goes this hard in one-on-ones. He's going this hard in individual drills. He's running this hard to the football. When the scout team is going, this guy on scout team is doing this. This is your, your locker mate. And so, so he would show a video of somebody doing scout team? Yes. He would show he would show individual drills. He would show the DBs running from, let's say, the 20-yard line to the opposite 20-yard line in individual drills. Like, look at this effort from Deshaun Shad. Look at this effort from your starting corner. This is your guy. And he would do this to the whole team. Teaming. Team meeting. Eight, eight, and people are cheering and yelling for it. No, you're just looking. You're just watching. You're observing. Mm-hmm. And you was like, oh, this dude, a real one. This dude is really trying to battle for this for, for this roster spot. And when it comes down to getting on the football field, when it's come down to the practice field, I know that this guy has my back. I know this guy's makeup is real and it's legit. And so I kid you not, I never thought of that, but another genius moment by Coach Carroll. So how would he counterbalance that with Tell the Truth Mondays? address it he was showing on the film and one of my most one of my favorite coach Carroll moments and I wish that he would do this and bring this back is with these penalties when guys were were making all these penalties even though we was leading the league one year he would put up the penalties in front of the whole team meeting room and what he would do is we would turn on that tape and we'll go over it Breno Giacomini (laughs) you got three holding penalties let's go over in front of the whole team KJ Wright you got a rough in the passer could you have done better in this? I truly hope that Coach Carroll brings this back. Coach, if you can hear me. Mike B, you jumped off sides. <laughs> For the 70th night time in this game, can you please stop? Just watch the ball. When the ball moves, you can move. And um, I really hope that Coach Carroll brings this back because when you talk about holding guys accountable, when you talk about addressing stuff, when you talk about um, really calling stuff out, tell the truth. Let's tell the truth with this tape. Let's tell the truth in front of this whole team. Well, speaking of bringing it back, I know last year, geez, throughout the majority of the K.J. Wright shows, we talked a lot about this bare front and a lot about this two-gap and a lot about the waves just being washed into the linebackers and everything else. I, I'm curious through watching practice, your, your eyes up there in the booth and on the sidelines watching just game one of the preseason, do you see some adjustments to some of what they're doing schematically up front? And it's so hard, bro, because I'm at practice and I'm trying to look, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but when they go base, what I'm seeing is the bare front. I'm seeing that nose and those two threes and Chenna and Mafe on the outside. When they go nickel, I think it's the old school over defense cover three mm-hmm. that we ran back in back in our glory days. So that's what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. When I saw from Coach Hurt in this game was the first play of the game, he brought pressure off the edge. Second play of the game, he did another blitz. And so I'm waiting for the all-22 copy to come out. Mm-hmm. You know, all-22 where you can see the actual film so I can really see what these guys are doing. Or I can just go ask some of the fellas. But um, that's what I'm thinking that they're doing. And so when I talked to Coach Carroll, he kept using the word aggressive. Want to be aggressive up front. And I'm like, Coach, what does aggressive mean? Are we blitzing? Are you, are you slanting? He was like, yes. I was like, what, like, what does aggressive mean? And so I really want to see him <laughs> yes. use these guys. Yeah, he said yes. He, is that when he just talks and uses words for five minutes and you're like, all right, we well, haven't said anything at all, but thanks for yes. answering the question. He said yes. Yeah. And, um, and so I really want him to maximize these guys' abilities. Mm. Well, I will say, I'll say this, KJ. Um, just listening, we've been able, fortunate through camp, to talk to different guys almost every single day of camp. And a couple of these D linemen, and certainly what Dre Jones said to us was the focal point is three yards or less on a run. 
That is the messaging in that D-line room. That is the messaging that it is three yards. You know, you're not going to give up just zeros all the time, but we have got to have a consistent mantra mantra of three yards or less, three yards or less. And he was pretty flat-out honest that he's not a two-gapper, that I'm attacking, that I'm changing levels, I'm disrupting, mm-hmm. I'm getting into the backfield. So I remember you last year talking about those levels and how important they are. How do they manage that? If Jaron's an upfield the guy and Dre's an upfield guy, is that – is that what all you're really looking for is to create that kind of penetration and disruption? If Jaron is an upfield guy and if Jones is an upfield guy, get those guys upfield. Let yeah. those guys play on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Let those guys penetrate. Let those guys be disruptive. I'm not paying this guy all this money to catch to catch linemen. I'm not paying this guy all this money to two-gap. I need this guy getting TFLs. I need this guy getting quarterback sacks. Mm. I need this guy um, just being extremely disruptive. And so when you look at what they did last year, there is no way possible, Brock, that they didn't self-evaluate themselves, that they didn't watch every game and say, we're going to come out here and do this same exact thing. (laughs) There's there's, there's no way. This is the NFL. This is the best of the best. Tell the truth, January. Tell the truth, (laughs) Tell the truth, March. Tell the truth, April. (laughs) These guys self-scout. If they come out and do that again, no, first of all, they're not going to come out here and do that again. Yeah, they just can't. They mm-hmm. cannot come out here and do that again. They will not come out here and do that again. They're going to maximize these guys' skill set. They're going to get Jordan healthy. They're going to get Jamal healthy. And these guys are going to be well, aggressive. Well, and, and certainly the be te- aggressive. B-E aggressive. <laughs> you guys are talking scheme. B-E-A-G-G-R-E-S-S-I-V-E. Now be aggressive. Well, he was just pounding the table. So This is what Pete said yesterday. I was asking him just about the speed and the physicality specifically on defense. Well, we definitely are faster. And today I just came out of the meeting here and I showed them some of the fundamental proof of how we practiced and how it carried over to the game. And the whole emphasis last week and through preseason is running and hitting, getting back to the real foot mentality of it all and man these guys are going it the speed does show up and uh you know that's uh that's always a good element of, of teams and there's nothing i like more than a fast football team and mm-hmm. uh, hopefully we can keep that element you know showing i, I kind of hear pete there and i'm not saying they're not making some changes to the scheme based on what we saw last year but it, it kind of felt to me like his opinion was we just weren't fast enough we weren't physical enough we didn't just run and hit well enough regardless of scheme and that maybe that's going to be a little bit more of the emphasis this year mm, they both played a part they both played a part of it <laughs> yep i love you coach but, but no they they both they yep. both played a part of it i remember that game i remember coming into this studio during the season last year <laughs> and i saw the defensive lineman like 2 yards off the ball i was watching the game and I saw the defensive lineman two yards off the ball just watching, just catching. And I was like, no. You, I was talking to Brandon Meebane some weeks ago. He's like, KJ, think about it. We play in the loudest stadium in the NFL. You want to use that, mm. you know, to, you know, you want to use that. You want to use that to get these guys going. You, when you got a silent count, you want to just be able to look at the ball and just get off. You don't just look at the ball, then your eyes go to the lineman to see if he's going left or right. You want to get off the rock. You want to draw those false starts. You want to draw those delay of games. You want to use this crowd, you know, to your advantage. And so um, they, they know that the scheme will be changed. The scheme will be changed, and 
Create a scheme where guys can run and hit. Create a scheme where guys can fly and go sideline to sideline. Create a scheme to where guys can get off the rock. And so I know it's going to happen. They self-scout. They self-evaluate it. And it's going to be a, a prettier sight this football season. All right. Let me bring you home. Let's uh, let's personalize before we analyze. I got a Bill Barnwell wrote a big piece on ESPN about all the playoff contenders. And Bill Barnwell's, uh, KJ, one of these big brain guys that just like, you know, analytics sits in a dark room, studies all these numbers, looks at everything. Really, really bright guy. So I'm going to get to that in a second. But I want to personalize it first. I don't think you've had this yet, but likely you will this preseason. What will it be like to sit in the room in that production meeting when Bobby Wagner sits down across from you? I can't wait for it. <laughs> I already got my question ready for him. I already got my question ready for him. I'm not going to say it on air. No, you I can't, can't, I can't say it on air. Because they need prep for it. Yeah, but... um. But just just to watch what the body of work that he's put together, just to be with this man for nine years, to see him still doing it, still playing at a high level, to, to walk through that journey with him when he was a free agent, when he was released twice, back-to-back years. I'm the best linebacker of this generation, and I've been released twice. I just can't wait to sit across from him and really ask him, like, Bobby, like, what's your mentality going into this football season? That journey that you went through, a free agent, like, it was, it was, it was like, being a free agent, that's not fun. No matter how much money you have, no matter how many accolades you have, that is not fun. And when you go through that, something is inside of your system, like, these dudes got to pay. When I face the Rams, they got to pay. When I look at all these other teams that passed up on me, they tried to offer me vet minimum, they got to pay too. So um, hopefully he's in there this week, but um, it's going to be a cool sight to see. Okay, so from just a pure your, what your eyes saw, you obviously didn't play. I don't know if he'll play at all this preseason, but on that practice field, it's been documented him running up and down the field and, and him covering guys and being in the in the pocket of a bunch of these guys down the field. What do your eyes see just from a pure player? Not the person but just a pure analytical linebacker. So I watched him in the mud game, and same old Bobby. It's a run play. I'm going to go downhill and make a tackle. Just doing the basics, Brock. Just doing the little things well. Just okay. getting guys lined up. Just being okay. so instinctive. Okay, here it is, a pass. I'm going to back up. I'm going to widen out, and I'm going to read the quarterback. So from a linebacker standpoint, he's going to be the same dude. Six sacks last year, over 120 tackles. The consistency that Bobby has brought in these first 11 years is going to show up again in 12 seasons. I was sort of hoping KJ was going to be like, I thought he was terrible. I thought it was just awful. He just had no idea what he was doing out there. I don't know who that guy was. You know, he lost a step. Need to retire like me. Need to join me. Hey, one thing yeah, that uh-uh. I know with Bobby is that he hears everything. Oh, yeah. He hears everything. And it's, okay, I, I then say, Bobby... Re- Go Bobby, ahead. hear this. Hear this. And KJ, hear this too. You ready? Don't get mad, KJ. I heard you want to ask me about the Pac-12. Maybe we can do that at some point. But don't get mad. This is Bill Barnwell, big brain Bill. Linebacker was a problem even before the playoff loss. The Seahawks allowed more passing yards to running backs and tight ends than any other team, in part because they allowed an average of 6.1 yards after catch, ranked mm-hmm. second worst in all of football. Only the Cardinals were worse. Their rush defense ranked 24th in DVOA. That's an efficiency. With the pass rush exceeding expectations and the secondary landing standout rookie, Reek Woolen, linebacker was the biggest weakness in the Seattle defense. I blame Cody Barton for all of that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yes, when you watch when you watch the linebackers, Cody, I love you. Good luck with the commanders. But um yeah. Um when you watch the linebackers last year, 
Absolutely. We we saw what it was. The guys were they were just like waiting. They were hesitant, like, go, go get it. They ran this concept on you the week before. The Niners ran it the week later and you missed it again. Like learn from the previous mistakes. And so um it wasn't a pretty sight to see. And um it will be corrected. It has to be corrected. Let's come back to the to the build of this roster. KJ Wright show every Wednesday here, eight to nine, and we'll do this all throughout the season. And then if you miss any of it, make sure you go download it at clsports.com or wherever you get your podcast, because this is a must listen to really understand what it's like being in that locker room, being on that team, being on that roster. But uh, we talked through all of the extra guys they've got in that secondary, or maybe even you have a lot of starters. Is there an argument to be made that you've got too many starters in one position and in one area, not enough starters in another? I think we can all sort of see that from the on-field problems, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you trade from your strength in order to help your weakness? I think we can all kind of make yeah. sense of that. But what is that like off the field, in the locker room? Let me tell you this. I mean, I'm going to be really honest with you on this. If there's not room or space created... There's going to be some bad juju. Potentially, let me not say there's going to potentially be some bad juju. Because if I look at myself, I'm a starter. I've been working my tail off. I'm one of the best players in the NFL. I'm on the bench. Like, guys naturally mope. Guys naturally just become, I'm not going to say divas, but guys naturally get upset in the locker room. And so you got to create space to where enough guys can play. If you got a guy that's clearly a role player, you're clearly a Nico Thorpe, you're clearly a Heath Farwell, you're going to be our special teams guy. Cool. But if you have a guy that I'm not a special teams guy, I'm doing it because I'm forced to. I do it because I'm not starting on defense. Potentially, that could be like, man, what's, what's going on? So, and so How do you balance that with Pete and his competition? What do you mean? Well, competition is going to push everybody, right? And if you've got too many guys for the spot, then obviously the competition juices up. How do you balance the competition on one side with what you're saying? The loser of the competition may still be good enough to play every down in the NFL. The competition is from now until we get that 53-man roster spot. After that, like this, like we're rolling. We're rolling. Like you're, you're the guy. Like when I when I made when you no know, when KJ and Bobby was there, like you're the guy no one's gonna compete and take your spot. You're the guy that we're rolling with. When Tariq Willen, no one's gonna compete with you. Quandre, no one's competing with you to start. But when it comes down to this fifty three man roster, these are our base guys, these are our nickel guys, you're the guys that we're rolling with. You gotta essentially lose your spot. You gotta be terrible to lose your spot for the next guy to come in and take it. So that's, that's what, what the competition yeah, is right here, right now. That's what you said earlier, though. The transparency and the honesty of these coaches with these guys, is, especially in that back end, is going to be critical this year. KJ, Salk doesn't have much of a memory. Uh, mine is slightly better. I mean, <laughs> you, you would have thought that Salk was a middle linebacker in the league for 15 years because <laughs> poor guy's memory is shot. All right. Thankfully, Mora has a terrific memory and wrote down on our show notes to make sure we ask you this question because we talked about, oh, we got to ask KJ this question because I didn't have a great answer. Which edge rusher, Derek, Daryl, Boye, Chenna, which edge rusher has the highest ceiling? Mm, high ceiling yeah. between those four. Between those four. Oh, that was the question I asked you yesterday. I remember that. <laughs> I may, I don't want to regret saying this, but. Ceiling. Who has the highest upside? Not who's the best player. Who has the highest upside? This guy is so fast. 
this guy could bend so well. This guy is so elusive. He's so creative. And it's Daryl Taylor. And I look at Daryl Taylor. He hasn't even figured it out yet. He has not figured out how good he can be. And I just look at what he brings to the table. He fell into nine and a half sacks last year. He fell into it. <laughs> he fell into nine and a half sacks last year. And I'm telling you, if it can just click in his brain, like, I am talented. I am good. I'm going to take this coaching from Cliff Averill and Mike B. I'm going to just tap into that dog inside of me. This guy could be a 13, 14 sack type of dude. He could be a three-down player. It's right there for the taking. I swear to you, it's right there for the taking. And once it clicks in his brain, once it clicks, and like just that focus. Can he play the run well enough to be on the field enough to get all those sacks? If it clicks in his brain, he's yes. Got, he's got it, the ability to do it. He has the physical ability to do it. But Salk, you know how they say the game is 80% mental, 20% physical. He has the, the physical ability to do it, but he has to t- tap into those details. He has to train his eyes properly. He has to just watch film and watch his get off. You know what I mean? Like just tap into that mental side. And so he is a guy that could be a 15-sack guy. And when I watched him last year, some guy, some games he's here, some games he's way over there. And so I, when I watch Daryl Taylor, he's the guy that I'm really looking forward to seeing well, this year. I'll tell you where you're going to be for one game this year. You're going to be in my hip pocket. You're going to you're going to come and you're going to you're going to be sitting in production meetings. I don't know what your schedule is. You'll be busy, I'm sure, on Sundays with the Seahawks. But what we're going to find a Saturday, KJ, where you are right there with me, right up in the booth, watching the game, listening to all of it. Because if you got a half of preseason football that you are intrigued, we will get you up there for a game this season. Oh, yeah. I promise you that. Let's do it. Pretty Let's cool. Do it. KJ, uh, here you go. That was that was week one of the rest mm. of this season. No, is this mm. preseason. This is I mean, this this regular season. season. This is week one for the rest of our lives. <laughs> There you go. Uh, a full uh, hour we did yesterday with KJ Wright, and uh, that was some of it. But go listen to the whole thing. KJ is just so insightful, such great energy, such a great dude. And you can find all that at seattlesports.com. And you'll hear him again next Wednesday at 8 o'clock again. All right. Coming up next, Brock is in. The Mariners win. And my dad is getting real cocky about it. It's next. I'm Brock and Salk.